this up as I go. What are your qualifications? Ah, well, I attended Juilliard. I graduated the Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I have people skills. I am good at dealing with people. You just don't know when to give up, do you? I need to do this all day. The Matt Sodnicker Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. This is Matt Sodnikar. Thank you so much for tuning in, for your comments, for your shares. Uh, I see those and it really means a lot. I have such a good time doing this. And when uh, my guests and their friends and everybody shares it, it really means a lot. So I do appreciate that. And this is uh, another uh, very enjoyable conversation that we're going to have today. And it sort of came out of just a business conversation on LinkedIn. And with me today is Christine, Christine Zorick. Sorry for that, Christine. <laughs> uh, she's the CEO of White Label Advisors. And I'll get into how we met in just a second, but uh, thanks for making the time. And this is, uh, I'm really looking forward to this. So good to meet you again. You as well, Matt. And thank you so much for having me on. Uh, it's you know, great to see how connections can play out. And um, this is really fun. We, we kind of got into some interesting conversation when we connected more formally and uh, here we are today. So very excited and honored to be on the podcast. Oh, well, I, it's my honor too. So thank you for making the time. And so going back to how we got introduced, there was the sea level at mile high event and I had recorded a, a Loom video to use for the celebrities to try to land meetings, things like that. And um, I'm always stunned when I'm the only one doing something that I feel is smart and creative. <laughs> like, I don't ever want to be the smartest guy in the room, right? <laughs> and you had reached out and paid a very nice compliment about the 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 video, but asked if you could steal it. And I was like, well, of course, it's not my idea. But um, just in that moment, like I got a sense for your creativity, um, just a different level of awareness. Because again, I'm not saying that I'm super talented or anything, but there was a lot of people that saw that and nobody commented and you were the only one. And I just thought it was curious, the lens with which you looked at the world and that's how we started talking. And so there's no question in there. <laughs> well, no, it's, but, but to just kind of lend to why I reached out after seeing that is, you know, I know video has a much higher engagement rate than other social media, you know, interactions right now. So Instagram is a good example because it's constantly evolving and, uh, providing a short video on Instagram, uh, you know, there's no contest as far as uh, the engagement that that uh, brings in versus just a story now, right? And stories were the thing two years ago. And so I'm constantly looking for uh, that, I guess, evolution um, because it's very interesting to me. And so knowing knowing that about video and seeing that you were the only one that I guess maybe had the same understanding or was at least uh, 
you know, just interacting on that platform and that level was interesting to me and it was a good video. So I had to give you props for it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, uh, I will let you on in a little secret. <clears throat> the reason I do it is that I'm fundamentally lazy. <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> so it's one of the reasons why this podcast exists. I, I had started a blog like everybody else, and I think better when I'm speaking as opposed to writing. And it's so hard to convey tone and things with email. And I'd rather just shoot somebody a video email because, like I said, to write the perfect email and craft it and proofread it, I could say it so much faster. And it's, it's really just because I'm so lazy. <laughs> well, that's, that's funny because I'm the exact opposite. And when we were prepping for the podcast this week, I shared with you that I hope my words come out well and that I use the right verbiage and that I'm not stalling too much. And the reason why is because I prefer to write because I love to oh. it and make it exactly as I uh, I'm thinking about it in my mind. And when I speak, I'm speaking too fast. My mind is running too fast. So writing helps me slow down uh, and, and get it in a spot where I want it. So that's, that's funny, but I, I spend so much time at night processing and thinking. I, I, I still have this on my vision board of one day, I hope I can create an API feed to my brain so that when I wake up in the morning, everything that I've processed and thought about and listed out can just land on a piece of paper. So I don't have to then go and write it. <laughs> <laughs> we could maybe do this podcast like back in the olden days of playing chess by mail, where I could yes. send you a video question <laughs> and then you write back. <laughs> I have a back too, by the way. <laughs> All right. Good to know. Good to know. <clears throat> so one of the things that um, really impressed me too was that in preparation for this uh, podcast, you had sent over some talking points, which is always helpful. But you also included a brand deck. And it was not about your company, it was about yourself. And uh, my career coach, Owen Jones, we went through a book called You Are a Brand and helping figure out you know, what I wanna be when I grow up and things like that. And so um, to have something that blends your personal and professional really beyond the resume was just, I love the style of it, I love the content. Um, and it's not at all um, self-centered or narcissistic. It's just a very smooth, and I mean this in the, the best use of that word, smooth and stylistic, designed by intent uh, description of something I've honestly never seen before. I've done um, like some PowerPoint cover letters, but seeing this, uh, A, I'm going to steal it, <laughs> and B, where did this come from? This is uh, just a such a unique personal and professional marketing document. Well, thank you so much for that. Uh, it's great to know that it's having the impact that it was designed to have. Um, so one that's just very meaningful. Um, and I can't take credit for it at all. So <laughs> I have a brilliant, <laughs> talented, um, you know, and, and almost... Um, she's one of those prodigies, um, a friend though, that I met um, a few years back, who's extremely talented. And we are, you know, 
best girlfriends and and we've shared a lot about our own personal lives together of course you know that you would do with a very close friend um and so she knows a lot of my um life experiences which haven't always been easy no one's are um they're all very unique um but i coco chanel is someone that i actually see as um a heroine um because of her life story and i'm not sure um if you know it but no please go in yeah her and her sister were actually sold to a brothel by their father i believe who uh, I believe their mother had died early. And if I'm fact-checked and this is somewhat wrong, I apologize to the audience. Um, this is the story as I understand it. So they were sold into a brothel at a very young age. Um, and Coco is around, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, the society of, you know, very wealthy rich men coming into the brothel. Um, and as she's growing up, you know, there's one of the men that kind of attaches to her um, and starts inviting her out to his estate with his, you know, friends in society. And she had nothing to wear. <laughs> um, and, and so she started to design her own clothing and became noticed that way. And she built an iconic brand um, from that background. And that was very meaningful to me because, um, uh, a few years ago, I had to make a decision and a hard decision to walk away from a home situation that wasn't safe for me and my son. And we, I packed up a car and left and um, literally had holes in my clothes just because of the circumstances and things. And so not many people know that about my background. Um, but once I heard that story about Coco Chanel and just the clean design um, and you sent something from Chanel that you don't know what it is, it's subtle, but I think it's her strength. I think it's her um, uh, impeccable attention to detail um, and how she created that. And so I wanted to build a brand, White Label Advisors is a good um, example of that, where there was so much intent um, in, in the brand design and the subtlety of it um, that really exhibited kind of this strength um, and so it's, it's just really interesting that you pulled that from the brand deck because that's exactly what, you know, we were going for and that my friend was able to incorporate in because she knows my story. <laughs> it's, <clears throat> it's very cool. I'll share some screenshots of it when we publish this, but, um, it, it could be a lookbook for a fashion line. Um, but in no way does it detract from you know, what we'll talk about with uh, the business in a moment. It's just, it's just, it's classy. Um, you know, I'm, I'm fawning over the design. And I hope it's like, not. Well, <laughs> this is cool, but yeah, it's awesome. I'm, I'm glad you use that word because my most favorite quote and Coco has some pretty great quotes, but my most favorite quote from her is that, uh, you know, a woman should be, I think it's classy and fabulous. And I'm not quoting that verbatim, but I have it actually in my office. Um, and, and that was kind of one of the quotes that, you know, is behind the brand. So that's, that's great to know. And, and you'd mentioned leaving the, the marriage situation, and this is something you can talk about as much or yeah. as little as you wanted, but what was the inflection point? What was the the last straw or, or your breaking point in that and 
that sounds like a terrible situation, but you made a change, which is, I think, sometimes the hardest thing to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's a great question. I, you know, um, at that inflection point, it had been about 10 years. I had a very young son. Um, and, and in, you know, an abusive relationship, the best way I can describe it is that, uh, there's so much diminishment that's happening that there's this point that I thought because a little piece of me was dying every day. Um, it, it literally was that inflection point of if I stay in this, I am not going to exist anymore. Uh, and whatever that meant, right. It was not a suicidal thought at all. It was just, I will no longer exist because <laughs> um, it, it was, it was very, you know, diminishing, there's a lot happening. So um, once I realized that and to kind of go back to um, what we had, you know, talked about earlier, and I apologize if I'm bringing this in too, too soon, but um, earlier in my life, I, I had an interesting experience where my appendix had ruptured when I was 11. I was in sixth grade. It was the beginning of sixth grade. And the, you know, we didn't know what had happened. I had severe abdominal pain and then it seemed to go away, but then consistently and regularly, I was going back into the ER or to the urgent care center, probably every 10 to 14 days, um, because I was getting very sick, high fever, vomiting. So, you know, they were running tests, but all the while kind of just prescribing antibiotics because um, they thought there was some type of infection. They didn't understand what it was. And that went on for about a year. Um, and the catalyst to that was uh, we were visiting my grandparents in a small farm town, Jerome, Idaho, which is about 30 minutes outside of Twin Falls. And um, I had a very severe episode to where, you know, my parents and grandparents are making the decision on do we call the ambulance or do we take Christine by car to the Twin Falls hospital? Cause we can get there faster on the dirt roads. <laughs> <Backwards>. <laughs> My grandma of course went out and uh, they put me in the car and they were driving me on the dirt roads. <laughs> Cue uh, the chase music, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. We got stuck behind two dump trucks. So, so by the time we get to the hospital, I had passed out at that point. And um, I remember waking up once to the IV going in my arm and then I woke up again and I had come out of surgery oh, and wow. uh, they just decided they had to open me up. They didn't know what was happening. They had to get in and figure it out and saw that I was septic, uh, due to my appendix splitting completely off. Um, and, you know, I was in the hospital for seven days, they were draining that out. But what I realized kind of during my marriage um, at that, you know, same, that same time period was that uh, I had talked to some like medical professionals about it. And I realized that most people don't survive appendicitis, um, especially, you know, that, that longer duration with it being untreated. Um, and I thought, well, you know, that's very interesting to me. And, you know, why, why am I still here? Maybe it's just completely like medical, you know, reasons, phenomenon, who knows? But maybe there's a larger purpose and you know i don't i don't know what that is but at that same time when i had that thought matt about 
you know, if I, I'm not going to exist anymore as I am. Is that good? That's obviously not good for my son. <laughs> um, but what else does that mean? Um, and I, I had to make that decision of, and I, I, it was that day that I actually called my sister and my family had no idea what had been happening for that hmm. time. And I called my sister and she just, um, I, it was, I finally talked about it and I finally had someone tell me that what was happening was not okay. Um, and what was really interesting in that too, is kind of the catalyst to some of this was, um, I was with my son, he was sick, I'm holding him. And I was in a spot where I couldn't get away with him. And, and what I learned later was that women in abusive relationships, it takes seven to 10 times to leave the abuser. And they most often do it when they finally have a child that they're looking out for versus looking out for themselves. So as I was, you know, working through coming out of, of that and really wanting to be okay. So I knew, you know, it was good and healthy to go work with a therapist, but I, I learned I was a statistic and that was tough, right. To say, you know, I'm seeing myself, I'm just a, a statistic. I fell into this system or this pattern of human behavior. Um, but I don't want to be a statistic anymore. And I'm going to commit myself <laughs> to not be that anymore. So it's been really interesting as um, I've grown my career and like going back to Coco, she blew the statistics away, right? With where her life had taken her to what she became. Um, and I think that's been a good guide for me in knowing that it's absolutely possible. And I've never, never seen myself as a, a victim. I think it's purely circumstantial what happened to me. Um, and it has nothing to do and it absolutely doesn't define me. That's huge. <clears throat> and um, there were times in my life where my circumstances, I did feel, why me? I did feel like bad luck or this should be happening. And um, I lost my mom when I was 20 and I figured that the universe owed me, I figured like that's, the ticket that I got punched, like that was going to be the, that was going to be the challenge of my lifetime that I would <laughs> falsely have kind of just like an easy life from then on. And I do recall after you know years of struggle and pain and, and therapy that, oh, I am supposed to be grabbing this metaphorical steering wheel here it's up to me. And if it's nothing else, and I've done a lot of stoic reading and philosophical reading, but part of it is my perception of things. And it's very powerful. And, and that's not lost on me that you never felt that you were a victim. But I think even more to where you've gone that you just were in a bad spot. And I've had to shake that off where it's like, oh, I deserved this or I'm a terrible person because of this. And, you know, <laughs> you have enough stuff going on in the world that you don't need to beat yourself up. And so it's uh, it's a powerful statement that, that you never had to go through that. Well, I, I appreciate that. And I, I appreciate you sharing that about your mom because, you know, I really believe in seeing the relationship with my own son, you know, the bond between a mother and son is really special. Um, 
and sons really do care and look out for their mothers. Um, and so I'm, first of all, I'm just so sorry that you lost your mom, you know, when you were Thank 20. You. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's, it's something that a young son should never have to go through. Right. And so, um, but you, know, I, you know, to, I guess my frame of mind around my experience is that I'm a, I'm a big believer in that our mind is what separates us. Right. You know, other than, and, and we even see it within like, you know, Olympic kind of paraplegic athletes, just how strong their mind is. But, you know, most of us, you know, are not disabled and very grateful and fortunate for that. Um, and, you know, I'm just amazed by, by those that are, but, you know, we, I, what I tell my son is you have two hands, you have two feet, you have two eyes, you have ears that hear, you know, like the only thing, if you think you can't do something, it's your mind telling you that you can't do it. That's, that's what's separating you. And so if we have this understanding of, I think how powerful our minds are and how they can be, you know, like a catalyst to change versus an inhibitor to change, which is our thought processes, which, you know, I have my own insecurities, which hold me back or, you know, my own proclivities that can hold me back. And it's hard to make those changes because um, we're born is who we are. And then we kind of have the rest of life to figure that out and try to <laughs> <laughs> changing some of it um, or learning how to use our strengths, you know? So Oh, you didn't get the owner's manual either when you were two? Oh, good. No, I thought well, I was the only one. All right. I think we're handing those out now in the hospital. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, the Sapiens book that we were talking about, actually, like, yeah, that's been one. it's super interesting as far as just our natural tendencies and, and things like that. Um, good study in anthropology, I think, but um. So anyway, you know, I, I appreciate, appreciate what you said, but I just, I think I, I felt like within those 10 years, I really couldn't accomplish what I was capable of, you know, by way of schooling. And there's an interesting story there um, or other aspects of my career. I like was not allowed to do certain things. Like I was going to go get my black belt and six Sigma. I was not allowed to do that. And, you know, some things like that. So I felt like almost in a way I had all of this time to kind of catch up and make up because I had lost like those 10 years of my life in some ways. And so um, I knew that if I was going to kind of make it to where I thought I was capable of reaching, um, then I just needed to be entirely efficient and focused. And I didn't want there to be a lot of waste kind of within those thought processes or my mindset on different things. How many times did you try to leave the relationship? Oh, I would, I definitely fit that seven to 10 times. Really? Yeah. I mean, I came so close a number of times. So, yeah. And it was a, a wholesale, just what you can carry. You're out the door. Was it that yeah, level? It was of... that. It was that. Um, we, yeah. And in some ways coordinating with family so we could get to a safe place. Cause you just never know what's going to happen. I mean, it, and a few months after my son and I, I mean, he didn't know it cause he was so young at the time, but I had to get a vic victim's packet together for us. And I did have to make that call to my family just because of some of the things that were being said. 
Um, I, I remember calling my oldest sister specifically, and I know I called all of my family, but for whatever reason, I like remember the phone call with my oldest sister. And um, I told her, I said, I'm just calling to say, I love you because I don't know if I'll be able to make this call again or say it again. I don't think that's going to happen, but I need to be able to say it to you just in case. And luckily we were okay. <laughs> well, the, the seven to 10 attempts <clears throat> sounds uh, like a lot until it's put into context that maybe someone doesn't have a vehicle or even where the car keys are. Cause if there's, mm -hmm. if it's getting to that point, I would imagine that there's a high degree of control that's being exerted. Yes. And how, how would you even do that? I don't even think about you know, going to grab a coffee or going to the store, but if somebody's monitoring your every move to I'll just take it a step further, like as a, as a prisoner, almost it, that, to me now that number seems actually kind of low. Yeah, I'm, I I saw, there was one day he, it's, it's like he almost made a mistake, but uh, I saw the laptop screen when I had gotten home with my son from running errands and he had been tracking me on my phone. I mean, my entire route was up on the screen. Oh, and it's, it's like, I, it's so interesting. I mean, there's so many red flags along the way, but, and I, um, but when I saw it, it's, I wasn't surprised at all, right. Because of that level of control, <laughs> but at the same time, it was such a sinking feeling because it's like, okay. I mean, this, this validates all of these, everything, right. This validates everything. And just to know, I mean, and I think the best way I, I can um, simplify it is I was complete, completely an object, right? I was less than a person or yeah, I was less than a person to this individual. So it's just, yeah. And, and thinking back on that, you know, I think that's the sad, that's the sad part. Thank you for opening up about that. And I, oh, of I, like I said, it's an honor that when people extend that level of trust about, um, a very painful topic. So I do appreciate that. Yeah. Do you remember when your diminishment turned around? Do you remember a moment where the sun broke through the clouds, either literally or figuratively where you started feeling like yourself again? Yeah, that's a great question. Cause I don't, um, I think it has been a progression actually. Um, and I believed it could happen to, I don't even know what to call it, you know, a kind of a full repair kind of restoration. Um, and it's taken a really long time not that uh, just, I mean, it was, you know, if, if you're in a situation like that for 10 years and it kind of goes back to, you know, within marketing or sales, we know that if there's one negative comment, it takes 10 positive ones, right. <laughs> Counteract that one negative. So I think in that same way, 
Um, you know, it certainly isn't going to take me 30 years. And last year was um, on my 40th birthday. It was really the first time I felt like, okay, I'm there. Um, because what happens kind of in those situations is, um, I mean, it's, they're just so destructive to the psyche that there's a lot that you have to work through. Um, and, and by way of just, you know, your own personal self-worth um, and reminding yourself you're not <laughs> worthless as a person or you're, you are a person, you know, and, and things like that. And I think those listening to this podcast that have known me for a few years will say, oh, I don't, I never saw that from Christine, but it, it, it is an internal piece of work that you have to keep at. Um, and last year, I think, was the first year where I felt entirely whole, um, where I really, really loved myself. And it was a very happy place to be, finally. That's so, wonderful to hear. Um, and I, I appreciate what you said. You know, I'm, I, I think it's important for me to be able to talk about it, one, just because that's healthy. But two, I hope that, you know, for anyone listening to this, um, or secondarily, you know, if something that I've experienced in my story in a way can help someone else talk about an experience that they're going through right now that they haven't been able to talk about, or at least help people understand and appreciate and recognize how important they are as a person and the meaning of their life. Um, even if, you know, there's one person that hears it or hears of it, that this can help, I, I would share it a million times over to help them. That was always the, the darkest points <clears throat> for me, uh, going through my divorces, plural, was that, you know, nobody should be awake at 3.30 in the morning. <laughs> Yeah. Unless you're feeding a baby. Right? <laughs> yes, the sleep deprivation <laughs> from a little baby. <laughs> yeah. But uh, looking at the ceiling fan and questioning so many things about my existence and just, mm -hmm. um, but to, you know, add fuel to the, the little fire that you just started about people listening is that you may not know it, but you have all the power that you need to kind of turn this around. Mm -hmm. And it's very hard to see at three in the morning when you haven't been sleeping for days and eyes are red from crying. And it's just, <clears throat> you know, it, it feels like it's never like the sun's never going to come up. And yeah, I know it sounds trite and uh, an oversimplification to say that, but, um, it does get better and you do have the capability, but I'll just say that nobody's ever alone in this. There's always somebody. I, I had a, I had a pen pal <clears throat> on Reddit, this guy that I never even met and we would just trade messages and he yeah. was so encouraging and mm -hmm. just, <clears throat> you know, and if you're not getting the life preservers, you got to go out and find them or make them. Right. Right. And I, appreciate what you shared because of course, you know, there are nights, you know, the night never seems to end. Um, and you are laying there <laughs> at three 30 in the morning or two in the morning. And, 
but I think always being able to hold on to whatever that glimmer of hope is, um, knowing that tomorrow is a new day and recognizing there may still be some bad days, but there's going to be good days. Um, and if, if you can somehow kind of fuel that fire inside um, to be causation for change, whatever that change is, you know, and what is right for you, I think absolutely. Um, the scripts, uh, they're a band. I, I can't remember which uh, country they're from, might be Ireland or um, Scotland, but I love their music. And it's actually, when my son was younger, we would listen to it a lot, but they have, a song um, where they talk about a girl and a boy, um, but it turns into like, you know, there's this fire inside them and they turn that pain into power. And I always love those words from that song. Um, Cause you know, sometimes you do, I mean, there's intense pain, but you, you can turn it into a positive. You can turn it into a positive force. So. If you'd share that song, that would be awesome. Yeah, if you could look that up. Cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love and that. yeah, and I <clears throat> have worked very hard over the years to. I don't like being upset. I don't like being angry, and I've worked very hard to. I just don't like the the feeling of that. I I embrace emotions. Like I cry at the Olympic visa commercials, and <laughs> you know, every year with "It's a Wonderful Life," it's just you know, I'm a, <laughs> a blubbering mess. So that side of the emotions, I embrace the other side it's not that i shut them down i just process them differently but mm -hmm. like you said about turning that or the song lyric about turning that pain right there have been times i'm like need a little rage here to <laughs> fuel this like yes. not quite revenge but like definitely in that emotional quadrant of um you know either living well or losing some weight or, you know, whatever it is, but just, um, yeah, I don't stay there for very, very long. Cause that's, that's a toxic place to be, but, um, yeah, wh whatever you need to make it one more day. Right. Right. And I think it's, it's that energy conversion, right? I mean, that pain, hmm. that <laughs> those feelings, right. They can be, you know, kind of negative energy, but if you can just convert them, convert that energy over to this now positive force or catalyst, you know, to, to muster up enough strength to make it through that day. Absolutely. You know, I've had plenty of rage filled runs and bike rides that oh, yeah. <laughs> just left or, it all out on the pedals and the shoes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when I was going through a lot of that, even during like the last couple of years of my marriage, I actually uh, got into marathoning and I, I fell in love with it because it was a way for me to cope and take all of those feelings and, you know, through the control and the suppression um, and being able to go on a very long run. I mean, I would, I would consistently, not necessarily a training run, but I would just go run for 20, 23 miles because that's what I needed at that time. And I remember, you know, my family saying, oh, you're running too much or, you know, things like that. And I ended up losing a lot of weight because of it. And then I, you know, anemia and things offsets. I think it was more of the stress of what my body was going through, but, um, but that was a godsend, you know, to what I was going through at that time that I could 
run and process all of that and work that energy out so that I could come home and be a good mom to my son and still be present in an environment like that. Um, I think it was a very healthy thing for me to be doing. Um, and I learned a lot from marathoning and then I got into Ironman uh, kind of triathlon training and, and some different things. And I mean, just correlating the lessons of how to train um, for an endurance race like that and how we can apply that, you know, to our life over to business, you know, I've, I've used those applications in my trainings and different things. So, um, just, yeah, to what you were saying, I, I, it, we will kind of take on these other hobbies, um, I think to kind of work through some of, some of the mental and emotional things that we're going through. So this might be an impossible question to answer, but when you, <laughs> um, when you were driving away and you had made the decision to leave and you left, and if somebody had left this brand document on the passenger seat, mm -hmm. what would your thoughts have been about seeing that? Wow. That's a very good question. Um, in that moment, who I was then or where my, you know, mind was then maybe not me. Um, I, I don't think I would have believed it. Um, that that could be me not at that time. Um, but I would have been very, very proud of that woman in the brand deck. And um, it's interesting because I actually on one of my long runs um, had this really interesting moment where it was, you know, a few years after the divorce and I still had a lot of negative thoughts that were running through my head. I was very negative towards myself. Um, and I, I kind of almost had this epiphany where I thought I need to change this story in my head and I need to be able to speak to myself as if I was very proud of myself. Um, and, you know, if the way, and I, I've been very, very deliberate and intentional with the way that I parent, because I want my son to be set up for success and not to be narcissistic, not to have this high ego. I want, I'm raising a well-rounded human being and a gentleman. Um, but I also want to set him up for success through his thought processes so that he's not self-critiquing to where it's, you know, detrimental. Um, and, and so on that run, I remember thinking, how would I talk to myself if I were talking to like a daughter of mine and that's what I need to do because that's how I talk to my son, but I beat myself up and I am so negative with myself and I've got to change it because if I don't change it, it's kind of like that inhibitor I was talking about at the beginning. I'm not going to make it to where I know I can. I have the capabilities. I know I do. I, you know, I can feel it, but I I've got to change this. And if I don't, this is going to be the, the thing that holds me back. 
again, you figure out these lessons so much faster than I do. <laughs> it's like that. I don't know. <laughs> I was probably the crazy lady running 21 miles up the canyon in the winter, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but I, I heard a guest on, I'll look this guy's name up, <clears throat> but he's a, a, a tennis pro tennis psychologist. I heard him on the Tim Ferriss podcast and he, I'll summarize this super quick because I want to get back to um, I have more questions about or for you, but um, he looked at these, these successful tennis players didn't crack under pressure that, that had mm -hmm. this robust life. They were champions, but they were not insane. And he had actually mic'd them up during practice sessions and perhaps even mm -hmm. tournaments. And the ones that were incredibly healthy and well-adjusted were the ones that spoke kindly to themselves. Mm -hmm. And you're right. We say things to ourselves in our head that we wouldn't say to somebody like some a-hole that cut us off in traffic. We're saying this to ourselves. So it, again, these are, <laughs> these are lessons I've figured out the hard way with help and you just seem to do it on your own. So <laughs> I'm so it's, it's, it's wonderful. So kudos to you. So well. I appreciate that. I, I thank you. I appreciate it. Sure. So back to this brand document that we've been referring to. So I wanted to read this statement and I want you to unpack it because I think it, it says a lot and well, there's a lot of English in there. I don't understand some of these things. So <laughs> I want you to talk about it, but, um, this is marrying human capital, business strategy, financial strategy through the lens of human behavior. Mm -hmm. And that sounds like people, business, money, but also how people operate. And um, I want to learn about this. This sounds very, very cool. Awesome. Well, thank you for asking. Um, and I probably had too much time to write, so <laughs> it's not easy to unpack. But um, I think uh, first, you know, I, I believe a lot of things are inextricably linked and there are high degrees of correlation between, you know, humans, people, employees working in a company, the business strategy and the financial strategy. Um, and I like to start at what I consider the center, and that's how we as people, um, whether it's our coworkers or the organization, um, are treating each other. And it starts with caring for the individual or caring for the one person. And then extending that out to realizing, you know, to, to care for each other, that means we have to have a high trust relationship um, but if the organization is really trying to build, you know, trust and retain <laughs> and have strong employee engagement with their employees, then they need to understand how important the family is or the support unit to that employee is and how they have to build the same amount of trust, if not more with that family or the support unit. And the way I like to explain that is, is when, you know, you've talked about your son and your daughter, um, maybe when they were a bit younger, they would ask, dad, why are you going to work? Or what are you doing for work? And if you had had a bad day at work, you know, and told your family about it, that your kids really cared about 
dad having a bad day at work or if he had a bad boss, they didn't like that boss. <laughs> um, and if, you know, a family or that friend group or sport group sees the person that they care about and love going through bad experiences at work, who do you think is going to help them make that decision to leave? <laughs> it's going to be the family. And not only just from the kind of retention piece, but we're also, as an organization, if we have a group health benefit or medical plan, we have a relationship with them. We are taking care of them. We are paying that premium. We are, that's the second largest <laughs> expense on the PL is our uh, ben benefit spend. Um, so if we have to understand that as a cost <laughs> and on the PL, you know, I'm with my groups, I work quite a bit to help the executive team, the CFO and the CEO understand that that expense is one that can be contained and actually controlled. And you don't have to sustain the 10 to 20% increases every year um, from your insurance carriers on that premium. Um, but just by way of uh, maintaining that cost, we really need to care about the members on our plan um, and understanding the claim utilization so that you know, if families are going to the ER more than urgent care and we can reduce those expenses by 50 to 75% just because they're going to a different facility to get the same treatment, we need to care about that. Um, so, so it starts with the employee, the family, and then I move it out to how do we interact with each other? One, every person has the right to dignity and being treated with dignity. And then we should all understand our own individual value. So a manager working with an employee, an executive talking to, right, a mid-level manager should always help that person in the interaction understand their individual value. Because um, the degrees of performance are actually quite wide in that range of performance. Um, and based on the organization, where it is within its business life cycle, within its maturity model, can really impact if the company's the right fit for us or not. So it might not have anything to do with our skills, but if it's early stage and uh, we're a much better match for a late stage company that's more mature, has sophisticated processes, it's never gonna work. You have your visionaries that are have you know a higher proclivity to liking early stage or growth and other people just because of their professionalism or level of experience are going to be better in a more mature organization. Um, and then, uh, that's, that's where that business strategy comes in. So when I meet with my CEOs, if I'm picking up a new client or if I'm just meeting with one that has questions for me, um, I don't ever talk about the HR piece that I'm essentially, they're hiring me on for. I'm asking them, what's your business strategy? Who's your customer? Where are you in your market? And who do you want to be in your market? Are you one of the leading competitors? Are you trying to get there? I need to understand that before I can understand anything else and can kind of help you through your HR program or your people. Um, but then the other layer to that and the other big piece of the conversation is I need to understand your financial strategy. Because if we overlay the financial strategy, which, you know, just very simply, we're either looking at top line revenue because that's growth, or we're looking at margin efficiency because that means we're mature and we've sophisticated enough so we can finally care about our margins um, <laughs> and we've gotten our revenue in a healthy spot so we can care about our margins. Um, those two strategies, financial strategies, really impact the type of workforce that we hire. 
and where we're recruiting from, where we're sourcing from. And when we first met, I talked about a little bit how I mirrored the talent acquisition process, recruiting process to sales. And I actually have studied quite a bit about sales and marketing because of that. So, you know, like HR to me or human capital um, really mirrors internally the external constructs of the business because our employees are a customer. We have to sell them on wanting to work with us. We have yeah. to have a fantastic marketing message and continue that message throughout their employee um, tenure. You know, there's a life cycle to that. And we have new programs that we've got to essentially market out to buy, get buy-in or engagement or transparency. So, sorry, I'm talking too much, but um, no, not at all. Uh, trying to trying to link that. Um, you know, all, all together. And the reason why I call it human capital is because that's where the value truly is derived. The people are the ones creating the products or deliverables to help you achieve that financial strategy and to help you achieve that business strategy. So. Well, it sounds like there's <clears throat> tactical and real world things to almost elevate this above a culture discussion. And I had seen this, I got this um, through ZipRecruiter, like, hey, this company is of interest to you. And prior to interview, watch this culture video. And I, I watched it and I was just like, okay, cue the drone footage, <laughs> cue the piano stock thing. And then they have like just these catchphrases. And I was like, well, it's better than nothing. At least they've put some thought into what the culture means. But I'm smart enough to see that they have the, like the, the what, but not the how. And mm -hmm. I just was getting the sense that this would never hold up under pressure. This would net because, um, uh, the guy who started Keller Williams, he starts with a disagreements document. Cause the only time you go to the contract is when something goes sideways, right? not because you want to reinforce how wonderful the relationship is in business. And so the fact that you're addressing sort of a, a root cause of the family and everything else, it's, it's brilliant. And it gives a, a business and people an operating system for when things are not going well, but it's real. Right. And I think, and again, I'm not in HR. I, I study this from like a sales and a relationship perspective, but the the culture thing it's all great when it's going great but how does the culture handle distress and discord and all the other d words disagreements and this again that's part of what you've told me but the other part about aligning it to the business and the financial piece that can't be ignored as well because you know, why is the employee there? It's well to make money for themselves, but also make money for the business. And so it's fascinating. I've never heard or seen anything like this. And so it's, it's really cool to be educated in this. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. And I'm, I'm glad it's a new way to think about it, right. Or some new insight. Um, and and yeah, it's funny because I love what you shared about the contract and the contract is there only if things go south. And this is where I think within the employee kind of relationship and, you know, we don't have employment contracts, but 
we're still kind of setting the stage, right? Um, and this is where I think we can be so much more strategic and where human behavior really comes in is because, you know, when we set policies, when we set programs, we are driving a certain type of behavior, whether we want to or not, right? It's happening. <laughs> and so um, there's a fantastic book called An Elegant Puzzle, Systems and Engineering Management by Will Larson. Oh, sweet. Um, okay, thank you. Yeah. And I can send that over, over to you too um, after. But I actually have a quote from his book in my slide deck when I'm educating, educating companies. <laughs> <laughs> and it says, uh, you know, a policy is only as good as the behavior. And, and if we're not driving good behaviors with that policy, we should just throw the policy away. And I could not agree more. Um, and so <laughs> when... Uh, when I am working with a group and we're rewriting their job descriptions, when we are reworking their offer letters, what I tell them is that these are strategic documents to promulgate the right behaviors. So if you know these three things are highly important to your organization, you better be talking about it and integrating it into the job performance expectations and requirements. Um, same with the offer letter. There's so much kind of latent potential within those documents and our talent acquisition process is we're starting to build this relationship with candidates that become our employees on how we can really create this atmosphere where we explain the behavioral expectations. We, because we've taken time to say, we understand at our organization that we want to see accountability in this way. And this is what accountability means to us that diversity and inclusion means this to us and this is how we're going to stand by it and our value set and <laughs> everything else that kind of comes along with that whole kind of philosophy. And we can package that really, really nicely strategically um, as we begin this kind of to develop and curate this employee relationship so that by the time they're hired, um, they already understand the expectations and they've, they've actually joined the company because they have a high degree of alignment to what we've been selling them along the way by way of values and behavioral expectations and levels of acceptance and inclusion in the organization. That would help me out so much at an organization because I tell managers and people that I work with, you can be, supremely direct and explicit with me about what you need me to do or if I'm not doing what's expected, like in excruciating detail, you're not going to hurt my feelings. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I was always the guy in the, the management meetings where if it was, I call you know, correcting the group when there's one person that's been screwing up. And even if it was me and not coming at it from an egotistical perspective, like if their description of what was not being performed didn't match exactly what I was doing and they weren't telling me directly, Matt, you need to change this. I'd listen to that description and go, well, I'm not doing that. So I'm not the problem. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I just tell everybody, it's like, look, if I don't get it, bumper sticker it, you know, get a crayon and an yeah. in index card and write very small words and tell me like, you know, bad dog, like I'm not going to get offended, <laughs> right. but to take it from the start, like these are the behaviors that you need to do 
that, oh my goodness, I'm just from, like I said, from a personal perspective, that would help me out so much. It's not like, here's the number of sales calls or appointments or right. whatever. This is how you do it because this is part of who we are. And this is the, wow. Absolutely. And then you get to the numbers and then you get to your quotas. It, it just fuels all of that. Um, and it sets it up for success. So um, I love what you shared about the transparency piece on the information, because, you know, when I run my teams, I really, really try to set the stage on level ground that information is purely here to help us improve. And we have to info share with each other. Um, and it's only information. You can't take feelings from it. You can't take emotion from it. You can't take judgment from it. Um, and it, what that does is enables people to just be able to talk openly and freely knowing that they're in a safe space, right? So we've created that trust and that kind of safety around it, but then we can get to the problem or the endpoint so much faster because people are just talking openly. And I, I do the same thing, Matt, when I'm working with, you know, my clients or, you know, managers and things, I said, I let them know. I said, I'm a feedback person. I love feedback because it's information. It's a data point to help me get to this other place. So please share open feedback with me. I'm not perfect. I'm here to help. So the more feedback, the more information and data points you give me, the better off, right? We can be and the more efficient and effective we can be together. Um, so I just love that, that you do that with your clients as well. It's great. Well, with everybody in my life, I'm like, yeah. look. Yeah. <laughs> You can talk to me like a toddler. Look, it's going to go a lot easier for everybody. Believe you're, me. You're a very low context communicator. Very direct. That's good. <laughs> it, it's hard earned, Christine. That comes from a lot of hours and a lot of money to get to this point. <laughs> um, I wanted to save time to again, talk about, uh, your brother. And when we got to, you know, like our very first conversation, just we're talking sales and marketing and LinkedIn. I think within like 17 minutes, we were talking mm -hmm. about this, uh, let's say unfortunate chapter in your life. And it was, um, again, an honor that you'd even opened up after just such a short conversation, but that was even just the, the very broad strokes, what led me to ask about, this conversation with you and recording this episode. So I wanted to segue to that, if you yeah. don't mind. No, happy to. And um, thanks. Yeah, it was uh, interesting how, you know, our conversation just kind of um, led into this experience. And for the audience, um, you know, I, I went through something very personal uh, not even two months ago, I was just looking at the calendar date, but, um, I had spent a weekend, uh, in San Diego, which is kind of one of my peace and solace places and had just spent the time on my own that weekend. Um, cause work has been very, very busy, you know, being a <laughs> solopreneur, um, and trying to 
you know, continually improve and operationalize and become more efficient to serve the needs of my clients and make sure my calendar is where it needs to be and that I'm being effective. I'll take time away every once in a while to kind of regroup and recalibrate. Um, and so I had taken that weekend um, and flew back in early Monday morning. I was sitting down at my desk uh, to work. I had run upstairs because this is this is how I am. <laughs> I had <laughs> packed everything that was dirty in my laundry bag in another bag so that and put my luggage by the stairs. So on a work break, <laughs> I could run upstairs for you know five minutes, put the luggage away, take the dirty clothes out, put them in the laundry and run back down. And I had done that. It was working great. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I missed a call from my brother's partner and there was a message and I read the text transcription of the message and I was just, what? <laughs> so I called him um, and I was in the car immediately after, but my brother who was 45 healthy um, had just passed away. And um, not only was he my brother, he was my only you know, sibling living in Utah and we lived together in Utah for over 20 years and had grown very close during that time. Um, but he was also the person that was there for me and my son um, when we were completely on our own. And I could go into stories about how amazing and selfless my brother was um, during that time to us. But it was so interesting because one, it was completely unexpected, but I had never dealt with loss in this way um, of the kind of unimaginable happening. I mean, I had just texted him that weekend um, cause we were supposed to be going back to San Diego together for father's day. Cause that's where my parents still live. Um, and, and to know that all of that had just changed in a moment. Um, but more than that, my, my son looked up to my brother as his hero and knowing that my son's 13 and is going to live for who knows how long. And he'll only have memories of his uncle up to 13. Um, and I, you know, that day, um, I was next of kin kind of on site. And so I was able to do what I'm, I guess, in some ways trained to do with HR, but it was very operational. Um, I had to make the phone call to my parents. I had to make the phone call to my sisters. I had to be the family representative to, uh, you know, the <laughs> emergency personnel on site that day. And it was a long day. Um, but it was later in that week where it all just finally started to hit. And I can't remember if I shared with you, but I, I, I was the one who ended up designing the program for his funeral. My brother was a designer. Yeah. He's the one who designed, yeah. um, the white label logo. Uh, it's, it, he actually, I mean, that's a completely unique, uh, typography. You won't find it anywhere. Um, but, uh, he, I was, de I was designing his program <laughs> And the pressure of designing a designer's funeral program is a lot. <laughs> Thanks, dude. <laughs> I was talking to my brother almost like, I am trying. I am trying to represent you well. Like, if the design is not flawless, I am so sorry. But in that moment, I felt very, very close to him. And it was a really cool experience. Um, and it's, you know, every day, um, it's still waking up with that realization that uh, he's no longer here. But, but the 
positive that has come from it is so many people came out um, to share their stories of his selfless friendship to them, um, which it was just awe-inspiring. And um, so it's, it's something that I think our entire family really recognizes how lucky we were to be, you know, with my sisters, we were so lucky to be his sister um, and to be around such an amazing human that uh, I think we can only hope now to really just carry on his legacy because um, he was just so wonderful, so. I would love to see the program if you wouldn't mind oh, sharing it. I'll, absolutely, I'll send you the PDF. And I'm gonna expose my, um, I wouldn't say I'm a designer, but my designer fan geek. One of my favorite documentaries is actually the one about the Helvetica font. <laughs> oh, I'll have to watch it. <laughs> yeah, I've had people look at me like, wait, you watched a documentary? <laughs> about a font and I was like it was awesome and I'm a font snob man I see comic sans anywhere and I just okay. want to yes yes so so funny when we were we're still going through my brother's things right that's a whole new you have to rework through that every time we go back to his house but um my sister found a Christmas present that she'd given him a few years ago and it's a framed poster <laughs> Or the typography, the spacing, all of it is horrible and awful. <laughs> <laughs> it says, like, a designer's worst nightmare or something like that. And it's all over the place. And we were laughing because, like, he had it hidden. He could not look at it. <laughs> oh, I couldn't either. No. I would have it in the attic. I, yes. I wouldn't be able to see it. I'm surprised he didn't burn it. <laughs> 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 that's like my worst nightmare like i don't have any tattoos and because i see all these homemade bronco logos on cars here in denver and and it's like it's got the cookie monster eyes like one's hunting one's fishing right and it's like you know or like the alignment's off and it's like i'm not ocd about that stuff i just notice it it doesn't bother me but um yeah, your brother and I would have had a wonderful conversation for hours yes. about fonts. Yes. <laughs> you, yeah. <laughs> it's so interesting. I'm actually, I've never had a tattoo before. Um, I wanted to get one after I finished my Iron Man, but it, I didn't complete it. My bike went, it was a bad bike day when <laughs> the bike didn't want to do it. That happens. Um, but but now I, I actually want to do something very meaningful because because of you know, to recognize him um, and remember him. But I'm having such a hard time because there's a tattoo artist I would love, but uh, I guess he's done Lady Gaga and other people. And so I, I'm just not willing to pay it. <laughs> I work because it's like, I know he could do it perfectly, but <laughs> I don't know if anyone else could. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I want a laser to do it. I want like That's a smart. bot. Yeah. Yeah. That's smart. I bet that'll come soon. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> It'll be the market soon, Matt. Don't worry. <laughs> you go first. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, what else? I mean, I've this has just been so uh, enriching. I just want to say thanks again. And if there was anything else you wanted to cover about your journey or your brother or the business. Um, it was awesome. Well done. Well, no, thank you. And um, I, I appreciate that. And I guess just to maybe try to 
pull it all together is that, you know, my, just with, you know, how fantastic my brother was, how selfless he was, um, you know, he, he designed that white label logo and put a lot into it. Um, and I had shared with him the idea around, you know, just kind of creating a brand that really speaks to the level of, you know, care class and professionalism that it wanted to bring kind of to the market, to, to clients, um, yet be kind of simple and sophisticated with the solutions that it brought. And so he was able to really kind of capture that within the logo. Um, and I, for me, it's really neat to kind of have a lasting piece of his work um, that is my brand. Um, and, and so it like it brought it full circle, full circle for me when we were at his funeral. Um, and, you know, we had friends and family come that we hadn't seen for a long time. And they were asking kind of about work and said that they had seen something. And as I was able to share with them that, oh, Ken was the one who designed that logo. It's just really wonderful for me to kind of have almost like his living legacy, you know, with, um, with the brand. And um, so it's, it's something that I hope to kind of carry on through his level of, you know, detail and <laughs> um, design is just being able to translate that over still to, to what I provide for clients professionally. And um, so it's, it's a, it's a good kind of memory to have with me along the way. Every time you hand out a business card or look at the website yeah. or anything, he's still there. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing. A good design just is so subtle. And it, when it works, it, yeah, I notice bad design all the time, but a good design, it just, <clears throat> it, it fits, it's comfortable. It communicates all that. And it's, interacting with people that can make that happen is just amazing. I just tell me everything that you think about how you think about things, because it's so hard to get right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I wish you could have met him. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> it would have been, it would have been a great conversation. Like I said. Oh, absolutely. It would have been so. Well, Christine, where can people uh, connect with you? I'll post links in the, the episode, but uh, if somebody, well, let me say, if you're a CEO, you should just hire Christine. <laughs> okay. We could at least have a very, very interesting conversation and I bet yes. I where you want to go. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So I can be found a few different ways. I'm on LinkedIn, of course. Um Last name is spelled W-Z-O-R-E-K, um, but also our website, whitelabeladvisors.com. There's also a christinezorick.com, uh, which kind of matches more of the brand deck um, there. Um, but my email address is christine at whitelabeladvisors.com. Happy to connect and help in any way that I can. Well, I'll hit stop here in a second, but uh, hold on. But just thank you so much, Christine. This has been just a, just a wonderful conversation. It was everything I hoped. And thank you so much for, for doing this. Of course, Matt. It's an absolute pleasure. And I love being able to 
um, share share some of the experiences and stories with you. It's been very meaningful and uh, really helped give me just kind of uh, remember the perspective and purpose, you know, behind why I'm doing what I'm doing. So thank you. My pleasure. Episodes of this podcast are produced and written by me, Matt Sodnikar. The intro was engineered by good friend Cole Weinman. And our original score theme song, Retro Funk, was composed by previous guest and good friend Randy Wiafe. I also have two requests. If you like this show, please share it with a friend who you think might like it. And also take the time to show them how to listen to a podcast, either on Apple transistor or spotify and i know you know somebody out there that would make a fantastic guest and if you do please shoot me an email to podcast at thewarmfront.com thanks for listening